The Living Strong Podcast. The Living Strong What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Living Strong Podcast. My name is Kim Sellers, and we no doubt thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We've been around for a little while, a little while. I've been around for at least nearly 30 years of broadcasting. Worked as a radio personality, of course. Started a foundation for multiple sclerosis after being diagnosed myself. With it, and I guess the journey has begun. So again, this is an opportunity for those that are living with MS, their family members, their friends, caregivers, anyone that might be affected by this um, very interesting disease. I'd like to welcome our guest today, her name is Donna Carter. Welcome to the show, Donna. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me, Kim. So now let's talk about Donna. First of all, you were diagnosed when with MS, and how did you even know that something was different? I was officially diagnosed in uh, 2009. But probably like most uh, MS patients, I had a lot of problems that were kind of swept under the rug or uh, prior to that, or complaints that I was making. I had episodes where I could not move out of my body or I was off of a limp or I would have... um, you know, spasms of pain, or I would get on the floor and I couldn't get up. I had a lot of reoccurring, uh, what they diagnosed at the time as pleurisy. As with an as an MS patient, we you know talk specifically about the torso spasticity and the MS hug, and all of those things were occurring. But whenever I was going in, they were not really looking for enough. But once I uh, once I had a major attack um, where I could not move the entire left side of my body, then there was a, a more assertive effort of actually looking into exactly what was going on. And then that just went. I was finally diagnosed with the condition and it started to be treated. So I went many, many years untreated. You know, many people talk about maybe some, you know, maybe one traumatic incident that may have happened or occurred and that it may have been the beginning of bringing out their symptoms of MS. Mm -hmm. Did anything like that happen? Was there anything that changed? Yes, I I would say thinking back now, Kim, I had my first episode when I was a teenager. And um, 
my mother was very concerned and she took me in and they started looking at other autoimmune illnesses like um, uh, lupus, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. uh, they even checked me for sickle cell um, and they were concerned that it was autoimmune, but they never really considered enough. Right, so it, eventually, um, I had a group of doctors who indicated that they thought it was rheumatoid, but even though I didn't have any markers or any numbers, but when they would give me the anti-inflammatories for rheumatoid arthritis, right, it would actually help some of my symptoms. Right. So, yeah. So it was interesting because uh, a rheumatologist is the first person who actually did an MRI because he noticed that I had a gait issue on my leg. Mm -hmm. And so he's the one who directed me to neurology. But even after I started to be seen by neurology, um, I really didn't get a diagnosis until I had that major attack and they had to admit me from work because I lost the entire feeling gradually from my foot all the way up through my hairline. You know, it's so sense. important. Of course it does. It's so important that people get to the right type of doctor. But a lot of times people don't know. You know, there's something going on with your leg and you're trying to decide what type of doctor to go to and then you get there and they're still not really sure what's going on. How frustrating was it for you having the doctor not being able to tell you what's going on? Well, it was really frustrating because, you know, um, I worked in healthcare my entire career. So I was in a position where doctors saw me every day, right? So I was, I was very frustrated, but once I started accepting the fact that I really was having some major issues. Then I became scared. And then as I got more and more closer to the right kind of doctors, I I went through a phase, Kim, where I didn't want to know anymore. Um, because I kept I was I was scared. I started looking at, you know, the fact that they were talking to me about, well, maybe it could be enough. And when I started looking at it, I was traumatized, right? I didn't have really uh, the kind of support that I thought I would need, you know, to explain to me what was happening. Because people, um, and I don't know how to say this, but the people that are around you, even though they mean well, they have no concept of how your body is behaving, right? So I went through phases where I kept saying, something is not normal. This cannot be normal. People, other people are not doing this, but I'm doing it, right? And I even um, said to one of the doctors, look, if it is not anything physical and it's something mental, I believe in mental health. I'm a healthcare professional, and I would be okay with you sending me to 
a healthcare professional because there's something really wrong with me. And it's my mentally, if I'm doing this, I need to know. Did they make you feel as though you were, um, what's the right word, that you were simply making up the symptoms? That what you felt was not real? Yes, definitely, Kim. To the point that they actually had a side conversation with my husband and told him that that was their concern. Wow. And, um, you know, it hurt me because, you know, I had to question, well, was I? But uh, And if I was, then there is a problem. That's a problem too, right? Mm. And, but, yeah, so I actually was in therapy um, during the time that I had the major episode and they had to admit me. Um. And in some ways, I look back now and I said, well, maybe that was good because when I was diagnosed and I immediately had um, mental health professionals to help me and help my family adjust. Um, but then once I was diagnosed, I was upset. I was upset with, and frustrated with all the doctors that they made me feel that way. I already felt bad enough. Oh, absolutely, um, I'm I, sure. You know, and then, then, um, then, of course, um, I also watched my husband go through a little bit of guilt because I believe he had gotten to the point where he wasn't really trusting what I was saying oh, and was listening to others, right? Um, and so, even to the point that when I was admitted, he didn't come right away because I had been admitted many times. And mm-hmm. If that makes sense. But oh, it that does. Day, when he got there and they were moving me to the um, step down unit because they had to determine if I had a stroke or if I had a major episode from an MS perspective. And they were explaining to him that they were opposite treatment protocols, right? Right. So you can't, yeah. So if you're treated in, inappropriately, it could actually advance the other condition. So, so I'm sure it became um, real to him at that point. Well, it became real to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And and it sounds funny because that day uh, when I was in the emergency room, I was in there for it by myself because I was taken from work. And the emergency room doctor comes in and he's holding my brain in my eye. And the couple of days before that, I had been in for my cyclical MRI and Mm-hmm. He indicated, he's like, you know, you've had a big jump in lesions. I had went from like five lesions to 26 lesions in three months. And wow. he's like, we're, we're going to do this uh, spinal tap, right? Because we have to determine whether you're having a stroke, whether it's enough. Because the worst experience ever. Yeah. I do so, not like spinal tap. But you know what I told him, Kim? What? I said, well, at least now people won't think it's in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it because he he really was had nice bedside manner. But he said to me, he said, but Mrs. Carter, it is in your head. And he's holding my MRI. Um, no way. No. And I said to him, I said, 
You are so right. There's nothing wrong with me saying to somebody that I have a problem in my head. Because, Kim, guess what? I have a problem in my head. The MS affects my brain in spinal column. Your cognitive. And I had to accept that, right? But Absolutely. It, but you know, I was going at it from the perspective of people were telling me it was in my head so much that I think a part of me had started believing it and I wanted to prove them mm-hmm. wrong. You know, I said, well, these people now will know that, you know, it's not in my head. <laughs> so when he said that, even I had to chuckle because I was like, you're right. There isn't anything wrong with somebody having a problem if it is in their head, right? Right. But so now, case, I, I, yeah. So I was uh, at that point. I did indicate that I wanted a second opinion, and so I was in Wisconsin at the time. So uh, I worked with my healthcare team to send me to Mayo right, uh, right. clinic, and I had a full workup there. So and, now, you, um, now, now I'm, you are married. I'm sorry. Say that again. You, I said you are married. Yes, I was married. And what, three children? And was he supportive? Is that what you said? No, I said with three children. Yes, I had. um, At the time, I had two children. I had one daughter when I was very young, um, right around 18. And I had my second child in my early 20s. Okay? Right. Um, And then by the time I was diagnosed, I was at that point in my life where I was not having any more children, mm-hmm. but I was counseled about, you know, if I wanted to have more children, you know, um, even the decisions about taking medication and not taking medication when you're pregnant and mm-hmm. the rebound that, you know, when you're pregnant, um, there's a lot of times the symptoms subside. And then when the baby is born, you have like uh, uh, more. Exactly. A progression. And so I kind of tried to think back, you know, with my pregnancy, did I go through that? And the answer is yes, I did. I, um, I had my oldest daughter, like I said, when I was about 18. But shortly after she was born, about six months old, I had a really bad episode of pleurisy, what they diagnosed as pleurisy, but I could not move my entire torso, and I was in so much pain with it, Um, and I was like, my torso was kind of paralyzed, and so what they did to treat it is they actually gave me anti-inflammatory injections through the skin into the lining around the... um, the thora- uh, uh, into the thoracic spine mm-hmm. to reduce the inflammation. Right, right. So and, obviously uh, that created, I'm sure, mm-hmm. quite a bit of fear. What are it you did, fearful? But back, but back then, Kim, I didn't know what it was, right? But what are you fearful uh, of today? Yeah, but now when I look back, I know exactly that it is the spasticity episodes that I have related to enough. Right. taking my meds and stuff, I don't have it to the level I was having it untreated. Um, but it always reminds me that it's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, 
And you know, there's days when I have bad days, and then there's a lot more good days since I'm being treated than bad days. And that's kind of what I focus on. What are you fearful of? Um, today. What am I fearful of? Um, I would say I try to not be fearful of this, but it constantly comes back to me. I fear to lose my independence. I've been a very independent, professional uh, woman with a career, and you know, and I just I feel like I've always been superwoman, and there's there's a, a part of the math that takes that away, right? And and it's a it's a challenge to allow people to do things for you. Um, I've been always that giver and I do everything for everybody but to back up and slow down and allow people to do things for me has been probably my hardest challenge and um, what would you tell what would you tell someone that's recently been diagnosed about MS I, I believe that I would tell them that um, there is hope for them. You know, I was in a fearful, dark place and I needed somebody to tell me that I could do this and that I could fight it. I believe that I'm a fighter, right? And I needed to educate myself and I needed to connect with people who could understand what I was going through. And, you know, Kim, that's kind of what to you, right? Is it, you know, I knew that you could understand what I was going through. You know, I read documents mm-hmm. on your on your website. I started educating mm-hmm. myself. You know, I had seen where you guys worked with the Cleveland Clinic, and I was in Wisconsin, and I said, "No, I'm going to go to the Mayo Clinic. I'm going to educate how I need to take." better care of myself in order to be that best patient that I can be to give myself a chance. And um, I, w- I would say that, you know, it's an aggressive illness uh, mm. and it's okay to be aggressive with it and learn about it. And I will tell everyone out there that Donna Carter has no idea how much you inspire me. It's just your energy, your spirit, and I absolutely love it. Donna has joined the board of the Kim Sellers Foundation, and I couldn't be happier to have you on board, Donna. I feel like we're focusing on some of the educational pieces that really need to be out there. Again, I love your energy, and I hope we have many years together to work as we try to, of course, to increase the awareness about multiple sclerosis here in Northeast Ohio. Thank you so much, Donna, for joining. We could talk forever. She and I have conversations all the time. Then I feel like, oh my God, I've got so much more to say and I think she feels the same. But I want to thank Donna for joining us. 
be sure to pull up our website page. It's kimsellersfoundation.org. Don't forget we have a Facebook page. As well, the Kim Sellers Foundation um, as well. And we are definitely on Instagram as well. So right and um, don't forget, you can always find us wherever you get this program from. My name is Kim Sellers for the Living Strong Podcast. Until next time.